0: have your Bible, you can snag it and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We are in a new series we launched last week called, For to Us a Child is Born. For to us a child is born, taken directly out of this very famous prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. There's four names applied to Jesus, four descriptions applied to Jesus in this passage. He's called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the prince of peace. And so today we get to the second one of those descriptions. Part two, we're talking about how Jesus is our mighty God. That's today's message. And so I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 9 last week if you were here for message 1. We actually read starting in verse 2 and, and kind of through the context here through verse 7. Uh, today we're just going to hone in on verse t- uh, 6. So if you need some more context, some more understanding of what's going on here, I encourage you go back and check last week's podcast or go to Facebook, watch the live stream. Won't be live anymore, but you know what I mean. Watch the video stream um, and it'll catch you up on, on kind of what all is going on here in Isaiah 9. But let's get to our key verse. It says this. It says, for to us. Everybody say, for to us. us. Not just for somebody else. Not just for the deepest, darkest sinner. Not just for the Jews. Not just for people 2,000 years ago. Not just for this group or that group. Not just for grandma. It's for all of us. To us, a child is born. Not just to those who were alive when Jesus came. Man, for to all of us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Remember last week in the context, we saw that this is a dark time in Israel. They are ruled by an evil king, uh, and one, of, one of many evil kings who came. And so this prophecy is an encouragement. There's a better season coming. There's a new government coming. The government won't always be evil. It won't always be wicked. It won't always be oppressive. One day there is a righteous king who will reign, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. I don't know about you, but I needed to know how wonderful the counselor is last week. I was going through some things and experiencing some things in my family that that I needed that encouragement last week. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called Everlasting Father. He will be called Prince of Peace. As we did last week, and as my plan is anyway to do each week in this series, I want to take you back to the Hebrew of the the words that we're studying that week. Uh, Last week, I thought the the understanding of wonderful and counselor was was rich and in-depth and complex. And and oftentimes, when we go back to the Hebrew, we discover that there's a lot there that we miss in the English. This will not be one of those winks. This was actually one of the most straightforward translations I've ever seen from Hebrew. But I want to show you what it says anyway. So in Hebrew, much like in Spanish... The noun comes before the adjective. So in America, in English, we usually use the adjective before the noun, so we call him Mighty God. But in Hebrew, it's actually God Mighty. So the first word here here is El, El. Uh, It's actually pronounced El, but we usually hear it as El. We talk about El Shaddai or or Elohim, different words for God that always kind of start with this word El, this, this little prefix. El is literally God. I don't have any more Hebrew insight to give you. I don't have any more layers for you to unpack. This is just what it means. Uh, Very direct, very straightforward. The good news is we lose nothing in translation uh, when it comes to El. It it is a direct translation from the Hebrew into English as God. And the word for mighty is similar. The word for mighty is a little harder to say. It's Gabor. Uh, Gabor. And Gabor means literally mighty, brave, strong. So when we call God, when we refer here to Jesus who is coming as El Gabor, he is the God who is mighty, the God who is brave, the God who is strong. So uh, I want to show you uh, four basic things from the implications that Jesus is mighty God. The first one is simple and straightforward, but it is this, Jesus is God. Now for us, most of us in this room, That's not really revelation. Uh, For most of us in this room, we have grown up knowing this or have discovered this at some point in life. And we know Jesus is God. For us, it's a pretty simple understanding. Most of us have grown up with what we would call a monotheistic worldview. We believe in one God. Uh, In this day and age, in this culture, the people around Israel did not believe that way. They were a very polytheistic culture. They believed in many gods. Everything had a god. There was a sun god and a moon god and a fertility goddess and and all of these different gods and goddesses. And so for God to present himself as one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, the Trinity, uh, was very unique and very distinct. In fact, for many it was scandalous to suggest that there was only one God. And so for Isaiah to prophesy, as the, the Holy Spirit speaks through him, that Jesus would come and he would be the mighty God. Not a mighty God. Not, not one God who is mighty amongst many other gods, but the only mighty God. The one who transcends all others. The one who stands alone, who is distinct, who is unique. This was different. This stood out. Jesus is God In Isaiah 9, 6, it says this. It says, for to us a child is born, referencing, inferring to Jesus' humanity. Hunter talked about it a, a little while ago. He said that Jesus came and he was 100% man, 100% God. So here the implication is to us a son is given. When we read between the lines of what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, is this isn't just a son, this is the son. This is the son of God. And so as he's prefaced before we get to Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, we see the declaration that Jesus would be 100% man, 100% God. Now that's really hard for us to wrap our brains around. He's not 50 50, he's not 75 25, he's not a mixture, he's not sometimes God and sometimes man. He is always fully God and fully man. Bible scholars call this the hyperstatic union. It's it's this inseparable combination of 100% God and 100% man found only in Jesus Christ. No one else would ever fulfill this. No one else could ever do this. This is an impossibility except for that with God all things are possible. So Jesus is God. We know this. We're aware of this. For most of us, we accepted this a long time ago. We've given our lives, literally leveraged our lives upon the belief that Jesus is God. But I want to make sure that that we state it explicitly and clearly because the text certainly is stating it clearly and explicitly. But but I want to focus more today on the mighty part because I want to encourage you with the adjective. I want to encourage you with that. We all know that he's God, but do you know that he's mighty? Do you recognize how mighty he actually is? Uh, when I think of the word mighty, there's a couple things that come to my mind. Uh, a few years ago, both uh, Judah and Alexa, our two oldest kids, through the, the kids' um, childcare that they go to, the, the parents' day out, they performed uh, some, some stuff for the parents at the end of the semester. And one of them was this song, and the said, so, song said this, my God is so big and so strong and so mighty There's nothing my God cannot do. So when I hear mighty, I picture four-year-old Judah flexing his non-existent biceps, right? Like my God is so big and so strong and so mighty because that was like the the motion for mighty. Uh, And it's just cute and adorable and I love it and it makes me happy brings me peace to think of my son declaring that my God is so big, so strong, so mighty. My daughter got way more into it. She gets really into the motions. Uh, Judah can be a little hesitant sometimes, but Alexa dives in full strength. So I, so I can picture her. He's so mighty. And she, she likes to mean mug. She likes to look at you and, like, intimidate you, right, which is super adorable with her little blue eyes. Uh, and so he's so mighty. Uh, and that's, that's what I think of when I hear that word. I, I also go back a little further into my own childhood. I'll date myself a little bit back to the lion king you, you remember Simba singing about how he just can't wait to be king he says I'm gonna be a mighty king like no king was before I'm brushing up I'm looking down I'm working on my Roar! I knew somebody to get into it uh there we go somebody just had a moment with God thinking of the lion king <laughs> hallelujah uh God can use anything in Jesus name uh but but I think of Simba saying that he's going to be a mighty king why does that resonate Because in each of our DNA, God imprinted a hunger, a desire for a mighty king. That you would look for one, that you would need one, that you would be after one. And 700 years before that mighty king came, 2,000 years ago, so 2,700 years back, to, to look back to this prophecy, God, through the prophet Isaiah, told us there's a mighty king coming. There's a mighty God who is coming. He is going to be here, and he is going to be mighty. So what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is mighty for us. You could write it this way if you want. Jesus is mighty for me. He's not just mighty. Praise God he's mighty. Praise God he's powerful. Praise God he's, that's who he is. But remember the context here for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. It's not just there's a mighty one there, but there's a mighty one for us. When I was five or six years old, my family was kind of church hoppers. We'd go to a church for two or three years, and then something would happen, and we'd go to another church for two or three years, and then something would happen, and we'd do the cycle all over again. Well, we were in that cycle, and we had just started at a church in the Seattle area called New Life Bible Fellowship. And they had this kids program, and I don't even remember exactly all the details, but I know that on Wednesday nights, we would get in a church van and, like, drive somewhere to go a kids program and drive back. And I don't remember all the, all the reasons, but I remember doing this. And, and early on in my time at this new church, there was this kid my age named Randy. And Randy decided he was going to pick on the new kid. Uh, and so he started talking about me, and he would, he would tell people stuff about me and spread rumors about me and stuff, and I didn't love that. Uh, Even at five, six years old, I cared what people thought about me. Isn't it amazing how quickly we become self-conscious? Isn't it amazing how quickly we give power to others where we place so much significance in their opinions and and allow that to define us and to shape us? So so this started to eat at me, and uh, I have two older siblings from my dad's first marriage, so they're significantly older. My brother John's 12 years older than me, and my sister Tracy's 10 years older than me. And so John wasn't in our lives very much. Um, He was much older. He had kind of moved out and and lived other places. But for whatever reason, in this season, he was around. And somehow I went to John, and I told him that this kid Randy was picking on me. Uh, And the next Wednesday night, I went to my kid's class, and we got in the van, and we drove off, and we drove back. And when we got back, waiting as our doors opened is my big brother, John. And, and, and this is the late 80s. Uh, this is like the tank top era for guys. Uh, John was in his physical peak. Uh, he, he was ripped. Uh, he wasn't afraid to flex. Uh, he, he, was in, he was in a good place. Uh, and so we get off the van, and John goes, Troy, you know, I guess makes his voice extra deep. Troy, which one is Randy? Uh, and I pointed at Randy, uh, and John goes, come here. And this little six-year-old, who was so big and bad, walks over to my big brother and looks up like this. And John goes, that's my brother. You mess with him, you mess with me. (laughs) And I'll never forget hearing Randy's voice stammer as he looks at me. He goes, that's your brother? And all of a sudden, this kid who had so much power over me was powerless because he found out there was somebody who was bigger and badder who was for me. And I need you to know today, I don't know what you face. I don't know what your sin struggle is. I don't know what the physical diagnosis is. I don't know what the relational pain is. I don't know what the financial hurdle looks like, but there's somebody who's bigger and better than your problem And the somebody is for you. It's not just that there's somebody strong enough. It's that somebody who's strong enough has your back. It's somebody who's strong enough, cares enough to step into your situation, to speak to your problem, to rebuke your issue and take authority over it for you. After that night, me and Randy became best friends true story. He never spoke another negative word about me. We were boys from that point forward. This thing that had once been an issue now became a blessing in my life because I had a big brother who stepped in when I needed him. And I need you to know today that Jesus is the big brother. Jesus is mighty for you. I love that preposition for because there's a lot packed in those little three words. Years ago, we were named city church of olive branch and that's a good name of tells you where we are I Man, this is our location this is where we exist but we had this laid upon our heart that we wanted to declare more we weren't just of olive branch we were for olive branch And four has a a couple of connotations. On Christmas morning or Christmas Eve or whenever you do your Christmas gifts, if you're like us, there's a pile that will end up in front of each individual, right? Noah has a pile, and Judah has a pile, and Lexi has a pile, and Mommy has a pile, and Daddy has a pile, and Mommy, Daddy's pile. Don't compare to Judah, Lexi, and Noah's pile. Uh, Working through some resentment there, but we're getting over it. But what happens is somebody will pull a gift out from under the tree and see whose name is on it. It's like, oh, this is for Lexi. This is for daddy, right? It's for, in other words, it is designed for that individual. There was someone who had a plan, who had a purpose, who saw this gift and said, oh, this is going to be good for you. Jesus is mighty for you. He's designed for you. You have a God-shaped hole inside of you that you're born with where you need his might. You need his power. He's the only one who can come and provide what you need. Jesus is mighty for you. But not only is he for you, he's also for you. See, for also carries the implication that I'm behind you. I'm on your side. I'm on your team. I'm for you. I'm not against you. So not only has he designed for you, but he has your back. In fact, in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul puts it this way in chapter 8. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is, if God is, then who can be against us? That other six-year-old may be bigger and badder than you, but he has no power in your life. That sin, that struggle, that shame, that condemnation, that doubt, that fear, whatever it is that's come against you, it may be against you, but it has no power because of the one who is for you. If he's for you, what does it matter what somebody else has to say? What does it matter that somebody else lets you down? That somebody else doesn't come through. I know that it hurts. I get it. But ultimately, when the one who sits on the throne is on your side, you don't need nobody else. He's got you. He's for you. Jesus is mighty for you. I don't know what way you need him to show his power in your life today. But I need you to know, not only does he have enough power to do it, he desires to show up for his people, because he's for you, and he's not against you. For so long, the enemy has excelled at at using judgmental and religious, self-righteous Christians, at at making people who are broken think that God's against them, that God's condemning them, that, that, that God has given up on them. But I need you to know that's not the heart of God. I'm sorry that sometimes we project that falsely but God is not against you he is for you he loves you he cares about you he's on your side he's in your corner he's for you and not against you verse goes on in verse 32 it says he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for his all he gave his very best how will he not also along with him along with Jesus graciously give us all things he is mighty for you But I got good news, it doesn't stop there. Not only is Jesus mighty for us, praise God, Jesus is also mighty in us. Teresa's preaching my message for me, she's one step ahead. Jesus is mighty for us, but he's also mighty in us. This is crazy. This is scandalous. This is impossible to fathom if you were the first one being told this hundreds of years before Jesus came. It's so understandable that there would be doubt. It's so understandable that you would be cynical, that you would question, because this doesn't make any sense. For us, we've received it, and we believed it sometimes for so long that we lose the wonder of it. We lose the amazing at it, uh, amazement of it. But Jesus didn't just come to save you. Praise God that he did but he actually came to be with you. There was a chasm, there was a separation between God and man called sin. And because of sin, God's presence could not be with us. He had to be separate because God can't be in the presence of any sin. And so Jesus, the son of God, came to die on a cross to restore us, to repair us back to relationship with God so that God could be with us. And God could be in us. He's in you. Colossians 1 puts it this way. It says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Paul loves this word. He uses it multiple times in the New Testament, the mystery. What is the mystery? Well, he defines it for us here. He says the mystery is Christ in us. The hope of glory. Why is it a mystery? Because Paul was sent to the Gentiles, Paul was sent to the Greeks and the Romans and and, and the Ephesians and and all these people who didn't grow up learning about Yahweh, who didn't grow up understanding this God. And he's sent to them to tell them about Jesus, that Jesus has come to save them, Jesus has come to give them hope, Jesus has come to actually live in them, they were familiar with many gods who were weak and fallen and broken. And he says, "There's the mystery that there's not many gods. There's just one, but that God's not weak, and He's not fallen, and He's not broken, and He's not selfish. He loves you so much. He wants to live in you." My favorite line in that new song that our worship team wrote, which we just sang this morning and introduced this morning, it says, "The Maker." Of it all has made my heart a home. That's a powerful statement. Can you wrap your brain around that? Can we step back from our familiarity that God is in us for just a moment and take it in that the maker of everything, the one who literally spoke and the planets formed on his breath, that God wants to live in me? It's crazy. It's insanity because I know my weaknesses. I know my shortcomings. I know all the ways that I fall short, all the ways that I say one thing to him and then go out and live another thing. I know all the ways I don't measure up and all the reasons why he'd be better off making a home somewhere else. He can live anywhere. He wants to live. Jesus is mighty for you. Praise God. He's mighty in you. What does that mean? That means there's nobody. That you can't share your faith with. That means there's no struggle with sin that you can't overcome. That means there's no situation that you can go into that you have to give up and you can't find a way out. Last week. Had some family come up for Thanksgiving. And on Thanksgiving Day, I was making bacon-wrapped turkey legs. And they were fire, by the way. They turned out awesome. Thank you for asking. Uh, and while I'm making our bacon-wrapped turkey legs that came together so beautifully, feeling good about it, my dad had to run an errand. And so my sister was at the house, and, and she, like, saw her opportunity while dad was gone. And so she comes to Mel and I and, and starts sharing just some devastating things about our family. And I'm talking about like one thing, I'm talking about this person's got this going on and this person's got this going on and this person's got this going on and and I'm like, can I just make some turkey? Like, (laughs) I wasn't ready for this, I wasn't prepared for this. Like most of the time, bad news doesn't show up at a convenient time, right? The reality is there's not a convenient time. So my sister's sharing with me this, this brokenness in my family and the temptation for me is just to say, it's on them. They can deal with that. They made those choices. They, they brought this stuff on themselves. Like, I'm, I'm safe over here in Mississippi. They're 600 miles away. Like they, But I don't have that excuse when the God of the universe is mighty in When I realize that the mighty God is mighty in me, I don't get to leave that for somebody else to deal with. I realize that I've been brought here for such a time as this. He didn't put me in my family by accident. He didn't call me to that workplace by accident. He didn't give me those neighbors by accident. Their brokenness is a spotlight beam on my calling. God is calling me to their hurt, to their pain, to their issues. He's put me here for a reason, and he's put his mighty God in me. He's mighty for us. But praise God. He's mighty in us. So often, if you're like me anyway, we just want to go through life. We're like, God, I'm, I'm already doing enough. God, I already got enough on my plate. I'm already carrying enough responsibility, enough weight. But he says, I've put the Savior who carries the government on his shoulders in you. He's not asking me to carry everything. He's just asking me to step in and bring the mighty God with me. Oftentimes we throw around this Christian cliche that sounds good, but it's so deceptive that God won't put on, in, on us any more than we can handle. And thankfully, with thanks to social media, the, the truth has gotten out there. A lot of people stand up against that statement, and it's not as common of a lie as it was maybe 15 years ago. But oftentimes I think we still believe it because we've heard it so long. The reality is life puts a lot on us. It's not always God who puts stuff on us. It's our own mistakes. It's the brokenness of others, the brokenness of this world. Sometimes it is God putting us in a situation because he knows we're going to grow through it. He knows it's going to benefit us in the end. But I promise life will give you more than you can handle on your own. But life can never give you more than the mighty king, the mighty God can handle. Jesus is mighty in you. And so whenever you look at that situation, whenever you look at that financial hurdle, whenever you look at that relational struggle, whenever you look at that pain, that discouragement, that anxiety, whatever it is that you're dealing with right now, I need you to know it may be more than you can handle, but it's not more than he can handle. Because Jesus is mighty for you, but he is also mighty in you. He is mighty for us and mighty in us. Lastly, today, I want you to write down Jesus is mighty to save. He's mighty to save. See, we're talking about the names of Jesus in this series and looking at how he is a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and next week an everlasting father and on the 17th, the prince of peace. But you know what Jesus actually means, his literal name? Jesus means Yahweh saves. That's what it means. Jesus means Yahweh saves. It's his declaration. Anytime you say the name Jesus, you are saying God saves. Anytime you speak the name, why do you think the enemy works so hard to keep us from saying Jesus' name? Because it's a declaration that Jesus saves. Why is it that that at every music awards show, people can go out there and thank God, and there's no issues and no offense. But when people start talking about Jesus, people get really uncomfortable. Because Jesus means Yahweh saves. It's okay to believe in a God, but when we declare that Jesus saves, we're declaring we need a Savior. And we live in a world that doesn't want to hear it needs a Savior. We live in a world that doesn't want to believe that it has a problem, that doesn't want to believe that there's any brokenness. But I need you to know if we would just open our eyes and look around, it's clear our world needs a Savior. And I need one too. And Jesus means Yahweh saves. It's not just embedded in his name in the book of Zephaniah. It's made explicit. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says the Lord, that is literally Yahweh in the Hebrew Yahweh, your God, your El, Yahweh, your El is with you. Everybody say he's with me. That's the Christmas Eve message, but we'll steal from it a little bit. He's with you. He is mighty, strong, brave, powerful to save. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. Somebody needs to hear that. He's not just capable of saving you, but he takes delight in you. It's one thing to save somebody because you realize that they need to be saved, but you don't really like them. You do it out of obligation. You do it out of guilt. He doesn't just save you because somebody has to. He saves you because he delights in you. Because he loves you. Because he sees something in you. He will quiet you with his love. That's a Prince of Peace message. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But aren't you grateful for a God who can quiet us with his love? Sometimes we need the noise to be turned down a little bit. And we serve a God who can quiet us. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know you're supposed to sing worship to God, right? But you know that God sings over you. You serve a God who sings over you, not worshiping you. But declaring his love to you, he delights in you. He sings over you. That's, a, that's an amazing thought to think about, God singing over you. That's an intimate God. That's a close God. That's a caring God. I don't know, I don't know what God's voice sounds like when he sings, but I guarantee you it's good. <laughs> he, he ain't missing notes. Uh, it's not like when I sing over you. When God sings over you, there's something incredible. He will sing over you. He is Mighty to save. Here's what I love about the declaration that he's mighty to save. Jesus didn't just come to save the people that mostly had it together, and man, they had 90% of it, but he had to kind of fix the last little bit. Jesus came capable of saving the deepest, darkest sinner. Capable of stepping in to the worst situation. Capable of loving the unlovable. He came and he is mighty to save. Elsewhere in scripture it says that his arm is not too short to save. I picture Peter out there walking on water, and, and he looks at the waves. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. And Jesus instantly reaches out and grabs him because Jesus' arm is not too short to save. The reality is his arm isn't too short to save because he's close. He's right there, and he's ready to reach out and grab a hold of us. Jesus says, I stand at your door of your heart, and I knock. If you'll just open the door, I'll step in. You see, he has all the power and all the might to save but there's one thing he won't do he won't force his way in he honors and respects your free will too much he will save you if you will simply let him if you'll simply allow him to if you'll simply open the door if you'll simply open your hand for him to grasp he'll do all the heavy lifting he'll do all the hard work you could never do it on your own I could never do it on my own He's mighty to save, but he does ask that one thing. I need you to tell me you want it. I need you to trust me in this. I need you to allow me to stretch out my hand and grab a hold of you. I'm mighty to save. I'll pull you out of that pit. I'll pull you out of that despair. I'll pull you out of that sin. I'll pull you out of that dysfunction. I will pull you out, but you got to let me. mighty to save you see Christmas is the the sweet time the cute time the time we celebrate a little baby but the reality is that baby had to come and he didn't stay a baby he grew up for 33 years he lived a sinless life conquering all the stuff that defeated us why did it have to be Jesus because nobody else could conquer sin nobody else could resist every temptation we were all born sinners he was not and so he comes, and all the ways that mankind had fallen, Jesus was victorious. And because of that, when he died, when he was crucified, he died as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's why we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Because those things were just a temporary covering. Jesus came as a permanent covering for our sin. Because he's mighty to save. And if you're here today, if you're watching online with us today, and you're far from God, If you're in that pit, if you're in that brokenness, if you're in that place of shame, of doubt, of fear, of condemnation, if you're in that place where you don't know how to get out on your own, the good news, the gospel is that Jesus is mighty to save for you. And if you'll receive him, if you'll invite him in, he's going to come through his Holy Spirit and be mighty begin to live through you, and I'll empower you to live for him. He's going to do all those things because he loves you. So how do I become saved? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, two things we have to do. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two parts. There's a confession and a belief. What do I have to believe? i got to believe Jesus raised from the dead. That means I really believe he lived, I believe he really died, and I, really, I believe he's really alive today. You don't have to be able to prove it historically or, or, or be able to even understand and grasp all of it. It just means in your heart there's something that says, yes, this is true. I know it. I don't know how I know it, but I know Jesus did this for me. The second part is confession. And it's curious. It says you have to confess him not just as king, not just as Savior. you got to confess Him as Lord. Lord means He's in charge. Lord means you're surrendering to Him. When we choose Him as Lord, we choose His way over our way, and we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that's when salvation happens. That's when our sins are forgiven. That's when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, to empower us to live a new life. It's when we're given the promise of a place with God for eternity. God is with us, and God is in us, and God is for us. If you're ready to do that today, I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes, both here on site and on.